Hello, and welcome to Still No Plan. I'm Jordan Granger. And I'm Autumn Webb, and we are so happy you're here. When I was at the gym this morning, I was thinking about your TikTok because you were like, how are we getting our anger out? And honestly, Mm. I... I was on the stair stepper and the TVs in front of me were all like sports. And I was like, okay, I can, this is fine. The TVs all to the left was like all like Roe v. Wade. Every time I looked over there, I'd put up the intensity like <laughs> two or three. And my, I was like so angry. I just had to go faster. I felt like numb. I just know it's going to explode soon. I know. I I saw everyone's just like angry posting, which I totally understand because it's infuriating. Mm-hmm. And I saw this one post that it was like, you know what's the disgusting part? The whole thing is disgusting. But extra disgusting is that the Democratic Party has control of the House and the Senate. They all claim to support pro-choice. Yeah. And they this has been leaked for almost 60 full days now. They had 60 days to codify this into law that the Supreme Court couldn't overturn. And mm-hmm. like now it's just going to be that much harder. Now they're going to use it as a campaigning platform. Like we support women, vote for us. You have to come out because we actually think that you're human beings. When in (laughs) reality, they had almost three months to like get their shit together and get it done. And they didn't. They like chose not to. I don't understand. And they're like mass emailing us now, like donate your money. And it's like, no, I'm not donating. Like you could have done something. (laughs) Like of all the people in this scenario, you could have done something about this and you didn't. So I'm going to get my money to people who are doing things about it. Like nonprofits that are doing things to support women's rights. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really trying. I think like my best way for my own sanity and mental health is to like try not to doom scroll yeah. Try not to honestly post about it that much because I just feel so it feels like screaming into the void. Yeah. And also try to like do actionable things and then beyond the actionable things, like focus on other things. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really privileged place to sit and like way to talk about it but it's true it's like I cannot emotionally spend all of my energy and like I want to scream at the world but like they don't care mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm just I'm like I'm gonna give my money where my mouth is and like do what I can where I can but like I just don't know if rage posting is it, gonna be good for my mental health well especially <laughs> yes also when I am on social media seeing all the rage posts is not good for my mental health and mm-hmm. like I could post, but for what? Like everyone that follows me thinks the exact same and everyone that I'm friends with already is posting these things. So I'm not like, that's not doing anything productive. It's just making me angry. So I'm Mm -hmm. trying to like stay off of social media because it makes me angry and do the same thing as you like donate to organizations that are supporting women. Like, Mm -hmm. And also spreading cool information. Like I saw this one TikTok talking about like the history of the way that we used to talk about abortion in like, you know, pre-modern era. And abortion was actually a lot more common, but it wasn't ever like deemed. It wasn't necessarily a medical procedure. Like pre-modern women knew so much about plants and herbs that they would Mm -hmm. spread information that way. So a lot of times they wouldn't say things like, oh, you can take eight vitamin C to end the pregnancy. But it would be phrased as like, a, if you are pregnant, you shouldn't consume eight tablets of vitamin C because that can lead to an early uh, miscarriage. 
And so it's a lot of things like that. Like if you are pregnant, don't take and then the exact dosage of how much you need to take. Like don't drink peppermint tea day in and day out. If you're pregnant, it's really bad for you. That's how Uh the information was spread around. But it wasn't like a negative thing. It was just that's how women communicated to each other. And there's a lot of herbal remedies. So I'm trying to spread information like that so that any women who are in states that like they can't get access to things know that – even though that's not like ideal, like take a bunch of herbs and hope that it works. But like there are herbs that are no resources help reduce like the chances of the pregnancy being viable. So I thought those were, I thought that was a cool little that is good. resource. That is helpful. We definitely didn't yeah. even plan to, <laughs> to no. go into this today, but that's just on everyone's mind. I, that is very much well. on everyone's mind. And we are going to do an episode soon talking with um my cousin who does she worked in at Planned Parenthood in Utah in Salt Lake City Utah for a long time and now she's a nurse practitioner who focuses in women's health and so we're going to talk to her about resources for people who are in more conservative states and also like she will have good information on where people who are in liberal states can give their money and, you know, just have good information. So we're going to talk through like birth control and hormones and all of your different options. Um, so stay tuned for that because that will be a good Im- informational episode mm-hmm. if you are terrified like many of us are. On a lighter note, <laughs> it's what? <hard> transition. <laughs> I know it's really hard to transition. We're just going to have to, but <laughs> what have you been doing today. It's kind of on the similar, it's like mental health. Mm -hmm. What have you done to fill your cup and take care of yourself today? So today I woke up before work and went to the gym, which is something that I say I'm always going to do and I never do. But I told myself I would do it every day this week just because since training for the triathlons over, I have really like no workout routine and I have no motivation to work out after work. I'm just so tired. Mm -hmm. So before work is the only way. And especially like I like ice skating, ice skating's before work. So it's helping me to just wake up at five every day instead of like, oh, one day a week I wake up at five, other days I wake up at six or seven. Like yeah. this is just more um, consistent. So yeah, trying to get my fitness in. I also meditated in the sauna for like 15 minutes and because I was just angry at the gym. Like I said earlier, like I was angry uh-huh. working out, which honestly it's a, it's a great workout, but I was also just in a negative headspace. So I put on like 528 Hertz frequency, which is like healing frequency. Ooh. And then went yeah. in the sauna for 15 minutes and I just meditated and did some Joe Dispensa breath work. And that really reframed, put me in a better mindset. So I'm trying to do that every day this week, but that was um, the number one thing I did for my my cup today. That's a good one. Um, I have been doing a lot of steam showers. This is not necessarily my one thing, but I did do this today. Steam showers to really cold rinses afterwards. And it has been so good. I highly recommend for anyone. Um, it's really good for your mental health and it's just like good for your body and everything. And it is nice to just like, it's kind of an easy thing, like no matter how, if I'm like, really busy and I don't have time to like do something for myself or I'm like really lazy and I don't want to do something for myself. Like it's, I can just always do that. And Mm -hmm. so that's a good one. 
But I have been getting in the sun. It's so hot up here. And today I took Cleo for a walk and just kind of like every second I could in between meetings, I would like get outside and sit in the grass and just be in the sun. And it really is wonderful for my mental health and makes me feel so much better. I feel like a lizard, like (laughs) adjusting to the climate, but I am so happy with the sun. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I know. I The summer kicking in, I'm just like, my mental health is a lot better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just getting outside in the warmth and it's warm in the morning and it's warm at night. Like it's just uh, so rejuvenating. So I fully am with you on that one too. Um, What is like a resource, some content that you've consumed this week that just, I don't know, you made, made you feel good or you're excited about it? I just listened to the Dr. Huberman episode from June 6th. I literally just, because I posted on TikTok about it and I was just citing it. So I know it's from June 6th, but I'm literally going to look it up because it's my favorite podcast episode I think I've ever listened to. It's called Dr. Paul Conti, Therapy, Treating Trauma, and Other Life Challenges on Dr. Huberman's podcast. And it's honestly the most like, tactical approach to understanding therapy. It's super approachable to people who are like resistant. Um, like I, I send it to like my dad and Kai, cause I feel like men always have kind of similar questions with therapy and they like, don't want to open cans of worms. And they're like, it's, it's in the past. Like I can move on. And Dr. Huberman kind of has a similar mindset. And so he asks all those questions that like come up And then the psychiatrist who's on the show with him kind of like debunks that sort of thinking and really explains like the benefits behind it. And he even talks about like why ADHD medication can be really good in some circumstances, but it's also can be Mm overprescribed. And like, I think there's a lot of narrative in like health and wellness as someone who like cares a lot about health and wellness, but also a lot about mental health and like has been on prescription medication for my mental health. I get a little bit like frustrated with people who are like, oh, you can just like heal your brain by like being positive. And that's not always the case. But he kind of talks about like why people think that way and why our healthcare system is flawed, but also why we can't just discredit like medication that has been proven to work. So it's so good. I highly recommend it to literally everyone. I probably sent it to like 30 people this week. Um, definitely like my favorite podcast this week and for sure my favorite podcast. I mean, for sure my favorite podcast this week and like probably my favorite podcast ever. It's so good. But Andrew Huberman never misses, first of all. And I think it's great to have someone like him who is like a research professor at, what is it, Stanford. And then he does the work when he like writes these three-hour episodes. Like he's coming from a, a... scientific perspective and then having on like a mental health specialist to kind of debunk or like reaffirm what he's saying is mm-hmm. so powerful, especially for men. To have yeah. a man talking about this in a scientific way that men can be like, okay, I'm not just being a little bitch. You know, yeah. they hear it from a big, burly, strong man who's like also yeah. masculine. Is, yeah. um, so I think it's extra important that someone like Andrew Huberman is talking about it. But I'm excited to give that a listen this week. Mine this week is The Power of Now, which is kind mm. of like tied into our theme of 
just controlling what we can control and letting go. It's written by Eckhart Tolle. Basically, it's just a series of him telling you like how to enter the present and enjoy the present moment because that's all you ever have and it's infinite. And then as he's trying to explain it, like every chapter is common questions. So you'll be like, but how do I do this? Like, how do I be in the present if I have to have bills to pay? Like, I can't always just like enjoy the passage of time. Like I have things that are happening in the future. And so he kind of goes through and answers like all the questions that you might have. Like I'll be reading it. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But like, how do I do it? And then the next question will be like, how do Mm -hmm. I do it? And he explains it. And for someone like me, who has a lot of anxiety, which anxiety lives in the present or future. It's like never, I mean, in the future or past, anxiety is like not mm. a here and now emotion. It's really helpful. And it helped me a lot on my last plane ride to Idaho to see everyone. Mm. And I think also in this scary time, everything feels scary. And so it's nice to like have a resource that helps me learn to let go and just recognize that right here in this exact moment, I'm in my bed, in my house, I'm safe. Like right now is good for me. And that's all I have is right now. So, so I've really liked that. Um, I love that you said that because I literally just was rifling through my mom's like library. She has this big bookshelf with all these books. And that was one of the books I grabbed. I was like, Ooh, this looks interesting. So now I'll add it Mm -hmm. to the top of my list. I think being present is something that just benefits you in all ways. And it's something that people don't do well. And so <laughs> I I love that format too. Um, this Naked Mind is a book on sobriety and she kind of does that format. Like every few chapters, she has a whole chapter just dedicated to like a common misconception around drinking. And like, she'll kind of like break down like why it's different or like, like, I don't know, just kind of like rebuttal these like common questions that come up. And I think it is so helpful because it feels like you're in a conversation. It's like so engaging because you're like, these are coming up and you're literally just answering the question as it comes. So that's great. So it's really easily like digestible. It's a pretty short Mm -hmm. book too. Um, So all around, it's an easy but powerful read. Um, I love that. We're going to start adding these to our stories too. So you will see these in our Instagram, which you should follow if you do not. (laughs) And still no plan pod. This week's episode is so good. I'm so excited to share this conversation. It was so fun to have. It's with my friend Allison from TikTok, who we have been like mutual followers. And I've just always been kind of inspired by her story. She, I found her through like sobriety because she also doesn't drink and she does some content around not drinking. But she also does a lot of con- content around like wellness and just like living your dream life. And so I followed her because I was like, wow, this girl's like really like living her dream life. She lives a really cool life. And then we invited her on and she was excited to come on. She owns a store in Omaha, Nebraska. It's a vintage store that she like curates and owns and manages all on her own. She has a podcast with her best friend. And um, she also does like social media management and brand consulting. She's really an impressive person on top of her content creation, which like honestly could be a whole career in itself. She's so good at it. And she literally was like, oh, I just do that for fun. It's like my side hustle. Like not, it's not even your side <laughs> hustle, just like her hobby. And it's like so beautifully done and perfectly executed. 
Um, so we got to pick her brain for like an hour and it was so fun. I really wish we had more time with her because she, her life and just her mindset and her attitude, she had so much more to share. Like, and there were so many more questions I had, but she only had the studio booked for an hour. So I am bummed we didn't have more time with her, but I'm so excited that we were able to make it work to meet with her because her just like work ethic and attitude and entrepreneur spirit was inspiring and made me want to work harder at this and like pursue my dreams further. Like Mm -hmm. just knowing that you don't have, you don't, you don't have to be stuck in this corporate job. Like you could really just quit, take time, figure out what your dream life is and curate it. You can be successful at other things at a young age. Like you don't need to have a ton of money to start something new and make it your full-time income. So she was just really inspiring and all of her travel stories, like she <laughs> she was so fun to talk to. So yeah. I think everyone likes this episode because we got off the call and we called each other. And we're like, that was so fun. <laughs> I know. I know. And we, I think, I mean, hopefully we will have her back on because there were literally so many directions we could have gone down and like things we didn't even touch on that we were trying to touch on before. And so She's like such a wealth of knowledge and I think touches on kind of everything that we're trying to do with this podcast and we're trying to share. And like she, yeah, she was just awesome. Um, I also think, I think it's a good balance of like just her story, but she also talks about like, like her strategy for doing things is very clear. It's not just like, oh, she kind of like floated through life and these opportunities came. Like she executed everything so well. So it's kind of a good like playbook almost on like how these things could actually become reality. It's not just like unattainable dreams. Like she kind of gives her play by play of like how it all happened. And so, yeah, it's super fun, a great episode and we're super excited to share it with you. So yeah, let us know how you like it. Woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to kick it off with like a very high level, you've had an incredible career post-college, um, just kind of give like your Sparknotes version of what you've been doing career-wise since you graduated college. Totally. Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Allison. I am 27 years old and I live in Omaha, Nebraska. I have pretty much had Nebraska as my home base for the last like 22 years, which has its pros and cons for sure. Um, Some of the pros are that I've just been able to do a lot because the cost of living is so low. Definitely at some point in my life, I'd love to go experiencing living somewhere else, but I truly attribute a lot of my success and experiences to the fact that I can afford my rent and a nice car and to travel and open a business. And if I was in a place like LA or New York, I wouldn't be able to do all of that. So for me right now, in this era of my life, living in Nebraska has been such a good stepping stone to help me get where I want to be. So I went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, which is just like an hour away from the current city I'm in. And I studied advertising, public relations, and graphic design. And at the time, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with that. I think creative director was probably my dream job, but I didn't even really know what that meant because I don't know. How old are you guys? 23 and 20, almost 24. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So even the age discrepancy of like what social media was like four years for me, like when I was going into college, we didn't even know what like sororities were like Instagram wasn't a thing. So it was just like such a different era to be graduating from high school, going into college at that time. You were just going in so blind. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
definitely a career in social media was not, not the norm. No, maybe YouTube, but that was not even on my horizon. So I just kind of went into advertising art and it ended up working out pretty well. Then I, I think it was like sophomore year of college after I got back from backpacking Europe, which you could go into later if it aligns. I was like, okay, I want to make some real money here. Like I have big dreams and the only way I'm going to be able to get there is if I'm not working a $7 and 25 hour uh, job at scooters, like we're going to have to level up here. So <laughs> I, there's this huge venue in Lincoln. It had like a rooftop bar, um, a nightclub, a restaurant, an event, like massive venue. And their revenue was like a million dollars when I started there. And I was kind of like, Hey, like, let me help you guys. Like I have so many ideas. And within a month of me being there, they took me on like full time, paid me salary while I was still a student. So that wow. was such a lucky experience because very few people have the opportunity to have a job that's full time while they're in school mm -hmm. that pays them that well. And like they gave me so many opportunities that I would not be where I am if those people hadn't just trusted in me. So wow. it was kind of nice by the time I graduated college, I already had three years of like work experience under my belt. And after I graduated, I was like, okay, I am so tired. Like I just did two degrees at the same time I was in a sorority and I was trying to travel and work this full-time job. So after I graduated, I was like, I need a year to myself to just like, mm -hmm. you know, figure out what I want to do with my life. So then I just moved back to Omaha and got an apartment by myself and just kind of was doing freelance stuff because after I left there, thankfully enough people, Nebraska's uh, pretty small, <laughs> were like, hey, I saw what you did at that other place. Like, <laughs> could you help me? So then I would kind of do some like freelance marketing design stuff. Yeah. And then I kind of started going into the vintage business thing. But that's kind of yeah. my high level. Mm -hmm overview if that is a good starting point. <laughs> no, that was great. So I'm curious, like, first of all, that's really impressive that you just kind of saw an opportunity and took it. And I think that's such so intimidating to do, especially like in college when you're just kind of busy and confused, like all the time. <laughs> I feel like college was like a fever dream and I like never had my head on straight <laughs> the entire time. But how did you approach that? Like, did you literally just email the like, like, who did you reach out to? How, like, strategically, how did you get that job? And what did it start out as? And then what did it evolve into as you worked there and, like, proved yourself? Okay, perfect. I think that's a great question. And I can even take it a step further back. Um, in high school, I worked at this local pretty well-known boutique just as a sales associate. And mm -hmm. I saw how much more they could be doing, too. Like, this was before they didn't even have, like, a website, didn't have Instagram or anything, weren't do doing any marketing. So I went to the owners of that place and I made like a 10 page PDF with screenshots of like their Google reviews um, and all of these things. And it was like, listen, if you guys paid me fifteen hundred a month, which when I was like 16, I thought was like astronomical, you know, and it was like, <laughs> listen, like I will take photos from you. I'm going to make you guys an Instagram account. We're going to get your Google reviews up and like all this stuff. And it was such a hard sell back then because they were like, what? Like, I don't get it. And I was like, I promised this 1500 that you would invest in me would pay off like tenfold. And it did take a few meetings over coffee with them and me just like really trying to sell myself and this idea and backing it up with research. And they were finally like, okay, you know what? You're right. And 
obviously I had been there for a few years, so they trusted me and knew that I probably wasn't going to like take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for probably like a full year and it was great. And then, but they were in Omaha. So when I went to school in Lincoln, I just kind of like left that job. And so I kind of knew that that approach worked at the boutique. So when I was going to this event venue, I was like, okay, I feel like if I just kind of step into this and not like let on too much, like my first day there, I knew that I was going to try to like move up the ladder within that business. But I straight up, my first shift was working the hot dog grill. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) I will just take it. And I like made no money that day, but it wasn't about me making money that day. I was like, this is going to pay off in the long run. I'm just trying to get a lay of the land, build their Mm -hmm. trust, and then be willing to help with anything they need. And after proving my worth for like a month, I was just like, I'll pick up any shifts, like any errands you need. Here's my ideas. And I was giving them all this marketing advice basically for free. And then the owner invited me to his house and was like, hey, we have this marketing guy who's on salary. And you know what? You're already like proving to be more worth it than him. So like, yes. And I was like, oh my God, I just got this like adult man fired. I feel terrible. (laughs) But I guess this is kind of what I wanted, but I didn't really think about that he was going to get fired in the process. And yeah, it just kind of worked out after that. And then I just kind of kept taking on more roles. Like first I started with the website. Then I started bottle service there, which Jordan, you and I know we're both like sober now or like sober yeah. curious. So it's so funny to be like, yeah, I basically encourage people to get drunk for three years. That's fine. Um, hey, it's a good way to make money. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, then we did like t-shirt designs. We would throw events. Um, I would book anything from graduation parties to like a literal wedding there. So Wow. And you were like 18 doing all of this, 19, like this is your sophomore year. So what? You know what? I think I was 20. I know I couldn't drink yet because I was like, well, you know how when you're 20 and you're in college and you're like in this awkward space of some of your friends are going to bars and you're kind of over house parties by this point. Mm-hmm. And, I, mm-hmm. and it's weird because in the state of Nebraska, you can like serve alcohol even if you're not 21. Yeah. 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 Um, so I was like, I guess I'll just spend like my 20th year being in the bar. Cause then I can kind of be here and I'm not even 21 yet. And this is where all my friends yeah. are. Like, I just still can't believe that 16 year old you, 17 year old you is going to that, that boutique you're working at and putting together this whole PowerPoint and asking for more and negotiating for more. That's a skill that people, I mean, I'm still trying to learn how to negotiate more at, and work. And I've, I'm older than 16, 17. Like, <laughs> Were your parents like entrepreneurs? Did they encourage you to like have this like go-getter mindset? I feel a lot of women aren't taught, especially at that age, to like, I want to climb the ladder. I want to do it now and I'm going to get what I want. And I just love that mindset. And how did you like develop that at such a young age? That is such such a great question too. I have to Mm -hmm. thank my parents a lot. So my dad does home mortgage loans. So he's always been very good with money and taught me from a young age like here's how to be financially responsible. And then my mom Mm -hmm. is a college professor. So something I love about her is she sees like the younger generations and how intelligent they are. Like she's not one of the parents age. That's like millennials are lazy. Why Gen Z's are unhinged. She's like, your guys' generation is so (laughs) smart and savvy and you guys blow my mind every day. So it's so cool that she's always been so supportive of me. And she's Mm -hmm. also really free spirited. Like, After she graduated college, she was living in Germany for a little bit. Like, she's just an amazing woman. 
And I, I think it's so important that parents encourage their kids that like they're, they matter. And I grew up, like my parents always had my back, like no matter what I wanted to pursue, they were always like, yes, this is a great idea. Like I remember being a kid and having snow cone stands on like the side of the road and they were like, all right. (laughs) Yeah. How are you going to, how are you going to buy that machine? Okay. If you make your bed every day, we'll give you $1 every day. And I was like, okay. So if I make my bed for like two months, then I'll have enough money to buy the snow cone machine. Like they were just really good at helping me and my sister foster those mm-hmm. ideas from a young age. And even a little bit before this boutique thing. Um, now, you know how we can go to like Urban Outfitters literally anywhere and get cut off Levi's, right? Or like some distressed shorts. Well, early in high school, maybe even middle school, like eighth grade to ninth grade, my mom like took me to the thrift stores and we were like going through and she's always shown me how to be very resourceful with things. Like you don't need to have a lot of money to get done what you need to do. So my first like business, I would take all of these denim and then like cut them off and distress them. And I had a little business with it. And I even sold them to a boutique, like straight up wholesale when I was like in eighth grade. And my mom would like drive me down over there and we'd like sell them to the lady and she would give me my little commission payout. And that was like someone that my mom knew. So she kind of helped set me up for that. So I have to thank my parents a lot. They were always supportive and encouraging and never made me doubt myself in that realm. Yeah. Which is super important to have. That's so funny that you say that about the shorts because one of my, well, our autumn, Alexa and Natalie had a like same concept. They would go when we were in like eighth grade by like Levi's and they would, I remember they would dip them in bleach. Yes, like, so <laughs> and they would like bleach them. And then we all had them and it was like a big thing. And oh my God, that's so funny that you say that. That was like just Tumblr iconic. Those like <laughs> bleach shorts. Yes. Cause back then, like you couldn't just go to the store and buy them. Like you had to make oh, no. them or get them on Etsy or something. Like get a bedazzler yeah. and like stud yeah. them. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you also touch on something that's, I think really important. And I see a lot of content that kind of contradicts this right now about like growing your brand and your business that is very, which I understand some of it, but a lot of the content out there says like, you should not do anything for free ever. Like you should be getting rewarded and paid for your work constantly. And while I think there is some validity to that and like, you can fall into a trap of getting taken advantage of. I really love your story because you showed that like part of the journey was doing shit for free and like getting like doing it for the long Mm -hmm. run. So how did you handle transitioning from like, was, was it always they, they initiated like, Oh, we should salary you. Or were there times where you were like, okay, now I'm doing this for free so often that I need to start advocating for myself and like turn this into dollars. Yeah, I agree with you. It is a hard line. And even, you know, you see it a lot in the influencer space of, People being like, you're selling yourself short. You should be charging more. I even remember I just went to Mexico City this winter and I just did an exchange for them. And the place was like $500 a night. And they gave me two nights in exchange for some photos and video. And I made a TikTok about it. And I thought, I'm like, this is so fair. Like, that's $1,000 that I would have had to spend on accommodation. And I was already going to be taking these photos. And this place is gorgeous. Why would I not make a video about it? And people in the comments are like, they should be paying you. This is such hard work. And I'm like, is it though? Because it took me like an hour and I have like a bed in a jacuzzi. I think that there's harder work to be done. And like, yeah, you want to be earning your work. But I was like, this is already something I was going to be doing. So, yeah, 
Yeah. Just trying to look at the bigger picture and zooming out and being like, if I'm nitpicky and greedy about this, like what would that look like long-term? And then these people, after I, I ended up actually giving them more photos than they even asked for, for this hotel exchange. And the guy was like, seriously, come back anytime you always have a place to stay here. So it's like, then in the long term, you open up that relationship and maybe then they end up opening a hotel in like a different city. And then you are, you have that. And I think people just, it's easy to be short-minded and be like, well, I put in one hour. I need to be paid for that one hour and not like, okay, well, if you're patient, you might end up being back paid for all of that work Mm -hmm. because of like the opportunity that you'll end up getting. Connections are so important that like, a lot of times those opportunities or like friendships that you build could turn into paid opportunities. And mm-hmm. like, if you're bratty up front and difficult to work with, they're not going to want to work with you again. Like maybe you'll get some more up front, but then they're like, that was really high maintenance and stressful for us. Like the people on the other side of brands are also just humans. And so like, they're going to feel the same way and they're going to be like, we don't want to work with you again. So I think that's such a good example of like, now you've built a he- a healthy relationship with, an opportunity that you want more of in the future. Like, I'm sure you're like, I'll do that anytime. (laughs) That's great. Exactly. Yeah. Realizing that there is another person on the other side of that. Like the guy who had the hotel, I'm like, this man had to buy this whole property in a foreign country, build a whole hotel, pay all of the staff to work here, buy the furniture, do all of this stuff. Like he also had an investment and he's giving something to me. He's just another real person. And like you said, on the other side of these brands. And I think people do you forget that because corporate America has made everything feel like a machine. And I don't know if we're, we're transitioning into like business now, but as a small business owner, the standards that corporate America has set with 24 seven customer service lines, people just like don't realize that behind some of these smaller businesses, there might be like one to five people doing literally everything and they can't answer every request and offer free shipping and discount everything under the sun. And it's, tough. Yeah, it's hard to keep up. I want to go into your story, back to your story again. So you're working full-time three years throughout college. You graduate college, you're a little burnt out from working. You do a year of freelance. Then you go like back to corporate America, like you travel, like what does that look like? Because I know you have your store and your podcast and I want to talk about all of that, but like, how do we get there? Okay. (laughs) You're like 23. Where where do you go from there? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I graduated 2018. And then, yeah, that that summer, it started with me doing the freelance, all those different projects. And mm-hmm. my boyfriend and I met over that summer. And then eventually when he graduated, he was going to be moving into my apartment. And I was like, oh, wow, I kind of need to sell some stuff because there was only one closet. So I had this just a closet sale. And I really kind of thought it was just going to be like this one thing. And people showed up. They like I made so much money from that. And people were like, oh my gosh, you should do this more. And I was like, okay. Kind of have some wheels turning because that was way more fun. I got to talk to people. Working at that event venue, I was so used to talking to so many humans and seeing friends. And I realized that the freelance world could be kind of isolating. I was spending so much time at my computer doing all of this behind the scenes stuff, just talking to clients. And I didn't realize how... I don't know, just by myself that was. And so doing the pop-up of the clothing sale, I was like, wait, this is fun. I get to be creative and talk to people again and go out and take photos of the clothes. And so then I kind of had that in the back of my mind that maybe 
maybe I could open a boutique someday because it's like I have the boutique experience. I already did the denim shorts back in the day. So this isn't like totally (laughs) off radar. And so then I decided, well, maybe if I niche down, I could do a Husker drop. Um, That's the football team here in Nebraska. Nebraska Huskers. It's a really <laughs> term that we should all know. Like, what's yeah. a Husker? I thought you were like literally like 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 work in the fields or something. Yeah, but that's pretty much that's how the mascot came to be because like Nebraska corn huskers. So that's oh. yeah. that's the thing. Um yeah, there's not a whole ton of stuff to do in Nebraska. So everyone knows Nebraska football. Um on Husker game days, the stadium is the third largest city in the state. <laughs> Because so many people are all at the game. (laughs) So that being said, it's a big deal uh, (laughs) for here. But I was like, as a student, always trying to find cool things to wear to the games, right? And I'm like, Mm. I don't want to go to a boutique and have like the curly Q, like tailgating, like just a dumb, (laughs) cheesy, cringy stuff. I was like, give me like a badass, like vintage shirt or a jersey or something like that. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And this was kind of right on the era where Depop was becoming a thing. And I was seeing other people doing this. And I was like, wow, Nebraska needs this. So for like six months, I went to like literally every thrift store in the entire state of Nebraska, like corner to corner and bought all of the vintage Nebraska stuff I could find. Like spent so much money. My apartment was full, like hundreds (laughs) and hundreds of items of Nebraska stuff. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to have this massive pop up where people can come by all of this vintage Husker stuff right before I did it the weekend before the first game. And I don't know. I think the event was at 10 AM and there was a line of people outside and I was like, Oh shit. Like I had my stepbrother there and my boyfriend and my mom. I did not expect that turnout. My mom's like in the corner holding up a sheet for like the dressing room. <laughs> Clay, my boyfriend is like making receipts like on paper, like with the coffee. Cause I did that at this coffee shop. Like, <laughs> It was just, and my stepbrother's like trying to keep everything going. And I was like, whoa, this was way bigger turnout than I expected. Made a ton of money and was just like, wow, okay. This, I think this is what I'm doing. So I did that all football season, just kept having more Husker vintage pop-ups. But then the football season ended in November. And I was like, well, I still want to be doing this. And I don't, now it's not football season anymore. So I can't really do the Husker thing. Why don't I just do like regular everyday clothes? So then did that and just then that's kind of how New Wave came to be. I did some traveling in between uh, to get inspiration. So my boyfriend and I like went and backpacked in South America. We went up to Vancouver and the Pacific Northwest and I was just like looking at a lot of other shops. And then I found the space in Omaha that I have now. I knew the neighborhood I wanted to be in. It's called Little Bohemia. And I was like, I just feel like that's perfect because it's like up and coming and it's not going to be super expensive yet, but it's kind of cool and underground, which is kind of how vintage shopping is. Like it's not this big mainstream new thing, I guess. And Mm -hmm. I saw this place and it was when we were still in Seattle, actually funny enough that you're there now. (laughs) And we were like going to be heading back. And I was like, Oh my God, that's the space. I have to have it. So I like messaged lady and I was like, Oh, we're literally driving back. Like, could I come see it? And she was like, okay, yeah, sure. There are like a lot of people that want it because it it was zoned as live work. And at that time, my boyfriend and I, we were just traveling. So we had all of our stuff in storage. And I was like, that would be perfect because I wouldn't have to sign an apartment lease and a store lease. I could get two for one, which is like so unusual to have a place be zoned that way. 
And so my unit, it's like the front half is the store and then the back half is my apartment. So it's also like one Cox bill, one utility bill. And I was like, that's the only way that I'm going to be able to start this store like economically. Oh Otherwise, because I didn't want to take out loans. Yeah. So we signed that lease March 2020. Wow. Well, I have a follow up on that. <laughs> but first, going back a little bit. So you said you didn't want to take out loans. How did, were you just like racking up credit card debt to buy all these vintage teas? Or like, did you get some loans from your parents? Did you like have a savings? Like, how did you front load the cost for these like vintage pop ups? Uh, literally just the savings that I had from working that full time job. And that's like another reason why I think that job so much is. I wouldn't have been able to save at the rate that I did if I didn't have that salary job in college. And looking back, I'm like, wow, I could have gone out way less. I could have done way less shopping and saved way more. But I was able to, I would say 25,000 was probably how much it costs to like get the store up and going to yeah. have enough inventory to build the racks, to pay the down payment on the space. We had to do some repairs to it, which like that is a ton of money. Like, I feel like anyone can be like, yeah, $25,000 is a lot of money. But even in the space of starting a business, that's like kind of on the low end. Like I cut yeah. every cost that I could. It takes a lot of resources. And I was just really adamant. Like, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm not going to take out loans. I'm not going to ask my parents. Like I'm, I actually finally got a business credit card for the first time, like last month. And that's only because I'm like, I should be getting points. Like I was just paying all of this exactly as I went. And now yeah. I'm also kicking myself because I could have been taking out like when the pandemic happened and businesses were getting like PPE loans and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was too proud and was like, I don't need help from anyone. Like I've got it. And so I didn't take any help. And I do kind of regret that because I just let my ego get in the way. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. You said you signed your lease in March, 2020 for your store. That's like the hardest time yeah. ever to open a store. <laughs> so how, I mean, you're lucky it was a place where you lived too. So like that was how you made it through, I'm sure. But how was it like opening a business in the, the height, the worst part of COVID? Oh, literally horrible. Like <laughs> I, I will not even sugarcoat it. It was so stressful. I was not in a good place at all. Like definitely worst place in my entire life. So we signed the lease March 1st. I didn't know that the world was like, absolutely. I don't, obviously none of us did go to like absolute shit two weeks later. Like, I feel like we all kind of were like, okay, some things are kind of getting weird, but obviously I don't think anyone was under the impression of what was going to come. And, but some pros and cons, I think I would have tried to get the store open immediately, like probably end, end of March be like, okay, well I have, I got to get some money coming back in, but I didn't end up opening until June. So I spent all of March, April and May really working on the space and doing things that I probably wouldn't have taken the time to do if we weren't in lockdown. Like I painted murals and I really worked on my business plan. And instead of buying racks, like I built them all out of copper myself and like built all the tables and just kind of more some fun, creative projects. Cause I could, but then, so yeah, opening in June. And that was also the same weekend that all of the black lives matter protests were downtown. That's when Everything was kind of reopening and just there was so much divide. I mean, we all remember it was very tough times. And I just felt like I was walking on eggshells with absolutely every single thing I was doing because I couldn't I didn't even feel like I could really say that I was open and have like a grand opening because also in my city, that's when you couldn't have more than 10 people in a room at a time. So the yeah. store kind of started off as like legit a speakeasy. Like there was no sign. I was kind of just like 
I guess if people find it, they find it. And if they want to buy stuff like great, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really know what the thoughts were, but it got so busy so fast and I was not ready for that. I, I truly thought I would be like on my laptop doing, cause also during that time I still had my freelance clients so, and they were almost all bars and restaurants. And so do you guys remember how the rules were changing so fast? It was like, yeah. okay, make a menu. Okay. Now do takeout. Okay. Actually now we can make alcohol to go. And so they like needed stuff done like every week. And I was like, I am crumbling. So June and July were horribly hard. And then I hired an assistant in August and while it helped to make everything run smoother, like financially, I couldn't afford to have her, which was like mm -hmm. causing a different load of stress because I was like, oh my gosh, like if I fire her, she's not going to be able to pay her rent. And I never as a business owner understood before that the weight of having employees. Like mm -hmm. I, and I, I also feel like that's maybe why I'm more willing to offer some stuff for free and resources for the long term because I'm like, I know being a business owner now too how hard it is to have employees. Payroll is insanely expensive. Like you're already paying your rent and your taxes and your legal fees and for your inventory. And between all of that, you have to make margins to pay everyone. Like it's, it's a, a whole math problem to solve. So she definitely helped me get things kind of organized. But ultimately after her contract that I made her expired after six months, I was like, I'm sorry, like I can't have you here anymore. Mm -hmm. So then I did everything on my own for a year, all of the sourcing, all of the every day I was open, all of the social media, the website, like literally everything. And after a year of doing it, I was like, I need a break. So from this, this January, February, March, April, I closed for four months basically. And just got like all my ducks in a row. I'm like, okay, what are the numbers? How are we going to make money? How could how can all of this happen in a way that's not stressful? How can I get enough inventory? Because secondhand and vintage is not like a new boutique. I can't just order more stuff like, oh, this shirt's selling really well. Let me just order 20 of them. I can't just mm -hmm. put things online like with a new item where you it's worth it to have a photo shoot with someone, shoot it, put it online. It's like, no, there's one. So I'm not going to do all yeah. that work to make $5 and then ship it out. Mm -hmm. So it's just so different. But I care so much about the ethics of secondhand shopping that I'm like literally willing to work so hard. And if for, for me, I feel like it's a challenge. Like it would be so not discrediting anyone that has a new boutique. It's definitely <laughs> still like hard work. It's hard being an entrepreneur, but it's very yeah. different doing secondhand and vintage. You have to, you, your heart has to be in it. You have to go to thrift stores. You have to inspect these items. You have to wash every single thing, put it on the hanger, make the sale. You've got to care. And so I guess it's kind of fun for me. Cause I'm like, if I can do this and pull this off, and provide people a shopping experience that makes them more enticed to shop secondhand than a new boutique. I feel like I'm like actually making an impact. And New Wave yeah. has sold like over 12,000 clothing items. So I'm like, this actually does make a difference. Wow. Like that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's but incredible. So when you like launch and even when you started by selling the vintage jerseys and stuff like that, were you mainly marketing through social media? Like, did you, did you have a big personal following or was it like word of mouth? Like, how are you marketing and getting the word out? Cause it sounds like both of them were obviously hugely successful and like had a huge, I like people were coming. So how did you get people to come? Definitely. Instagram was the biggest help for me. I had a little bit of a following in college. I think I was at like 10,000 when I graduated. And now I'm still only at like 15. I don't really, 
I guess I don't, I don't really care about growing my personal following as in like me trying to just be an influencer. Like I'd more like if my following grows, it helps my real life businesses. Not that Instagram isn't real life, but like, I'm not just trying to grow a following to have bigger partnerships because my income is more meant or is more earned in real life. Um, but it did help that I, I don't even really know how I had a following in college, I guess, probably just being really involved and working at that venue. There was so many people coming in Mm -hmm. and I also traveled a lot in college, which I think was interesting to people how I was able to like, I don't know, go to Greece in the middle of the school year and things like that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and also cause I feel my friend said this to me the other day and I was like, wow, that's literally the best compliment. I made some TikTok about romanticizing your life. And she's like, you have literally been the OG of romanticizing your life because you've lived in Nebraska forever and you've had no choice but to like make life seem as great as it can be. And that's probably a message I could say to anyone is like, yeah, don't wait until you can move to like the cool place. Like you can make your life awesome wherever you are and try to see the positives of it. Like I was like, if I open a store in Omaha, I have all of these friends and family that can come support me. Like if something goes wrong, like my mom can come watch my dog for a day. Like I, like mm-hmm. I know the streets, like there's a sense of familiarity and support in your community that you already have. And then my rent won't be astronomical. But if I move to New York, you're like, yeah, maybe it would be cooler. But like, will I, would the business survive? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think people say wherever you go, there you are. I think a lot of people use the thought like, oh, I'm going to move to New York and then I'll be happy. I'm going to move to Europe and then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. Like you're not – yeah, maybe there's cooler bars and cooler restaurants, but like that's it. It's not like – there's really not that much more. If you have a sense of community where you are right now, like you're – or if you can find a sense of community where you are, you're probably going to like find happiness there. You've touched a lot on travel and how like travel has impacted you and kind of been a part of your journey. It sounds like from college and onward. So if I would love for you to go into that and talk about one, how you balance travel with like your life and also not like how you, you like utilize travel, but like what, what you, how you can be intentional with your travel to like lead to a more productive life instead of it just feeling like, oh, I'm taking like time off and like come back. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I take vacations and I'm like, oh, now I feel like I'm so far behind on everything that Mm -hmm. I was doing until this point. Um, So yeah. How have you like balanced all of this stuff that you're doing with travel? Yeah. That makes so much sense what you just said. Cause there's definitely categories of travel. There's like taking a vacation versus like having an experience versus like an adventure. You know, like if you want to go hiking in Yellowstone, like that's like an adventure. If you want to go to Mexico City and go to all of these cooking classes and see art and things like that, like that's an experience versus a vacation. You're like going to Cancun and laying on the beach and all serve Mm -hmm. a great Mm -hmm. and different purposes, but they're very different. So when it comes to travel, I always try to tell people like, what do you need right now? And we all need different things at different times. Like, do you need a break? Like, do you just need to relax and unwind and have someone take care of you for a second? Or are you seeking like community? Like, do you need to go to a retreat and like find like-minded people? Are you seeking, you know, some spawn spontaneity? Like, do you want to go skydiving? Are you looking to get inspired? So maybe a city more like Paris that has like such a great art scene and great food start with, what you need versus like where you want to go. Cause sometimes 
you might think a place can fulfill you in one way. And then you get back from that and you're like, oh, I didn't really get out of that what I wanted. So Mm -hmm. I think the first step is really figuring out what you need. And for me, most of my goal in college was like, I want to just see the world. Like I want perspective. I want to experience different languages and cultures. And I had a minor in German in college too. So I was just very interested in learning more about other cultures. So the first big trip I took would have been 2015. And I left like I saved up my whole my whole salary from working at Scooters, it's like a coffee shop here, <laughs> which would have been like freshman year. I had like literally $3,000 to my name, booked to this trip the week after finals. So I don't know what that was, like early May or something. And I was like, okay, guess I'm going to go spend 90 days in Europe. I have no idea how I'm going to make this work with $3,000. Hadn't told my parents nothing. And I just like screenshot it or whatever was back then maybe printed off a piece of paper. I don't know how, what things are like in 2015, but I like just texted it to my parents and my mom was like, awesome. Like, that'll be great for you. Like, do you, what suitcase are you going to take type of thing? My dad was like, please come to my office. We need to talk. And so I like went to talk to him and he was like, I have two rules. Like one, I just needed to be able to get in contact with you. And uh, where was Taken shot at that time? Like Turkey or Armenia or something? And he was like, you can't go to those countries. And I was like, (laughs) okay, perfect. Yes. Like I just got a free okay to do this whole thing. Like that was so cool of my parents to just let me go. They didn't try to talk me out of it. They didn't ask like, how are you going to be able to afford this? Like, what about this, this, and this? Like, what countries are you going to go to? They literally like, we love you. We all cried at the airport. And they just let me do it. And as a parent, like, I can't imagine how terrified they were like that entire time. I was 19 years old with, and there was like, that was back then when you had to like get on Wi-Fi. Like I didn't have a SIM card. They couldn't really contact me. Yeah. And went alone too. Yeah. Alone as a female with like literally no business doing that. (laughs) 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 But I guess, I don't know. I think I just knew it would be fine. Like I can hold my own and. I don't know. I like to think I'm smart, I guess, and wouldn't deliberately put myself in a bad position. Um, so it was awesome. Like I went all over Europe, but getting back to the the travel question, I was like, if I'm going to be able to stay here for three months, like I have got a nickel and dime this situation. So that's when I figured out about hostels and they are an amazing way to travel, especially if you're young to meet people. And I know on like the movie hostel and on the internet, like, yes, there are horror stories out there. Like, do be careful, but I've probably stayed in upwards of a hundred hostels at this point in my life. And the only bad thing that happened is my iPad got stolen because I left it in the kitchen for literally three days. And that's kind of asking for it. Like who does that? (laughs) I don't know. And I don't even, why did I even take an iPad on this trip anyway? Like, what did I think I needed an iPad for? (laughs) I don't know. Like, was I going to be watching Netflix? Like what? Um, but did you plan this whole trip out or were you like, I'm just going to fly into London and I'm going to figure it out when I get to Europe. Like my only plan is get there. Like you didn't even have a country list. (laughs) Nope. I literally got off the flight in Belgium. So my great grandma was from Belgium. So that was literally my only reason for having the flight go into Belgium. She, she passed away. She does not live in Belgium anymore. She's literally lived in Kansas when she died. I just thought like, okay, Belgium seems familiar or something. And 
I was like, I just had, she would always make me Belgian waffles when I was a kid. And I really was just like, I just want to go and like have one of my grandma's waffles. (laughs) So I like get out of the airport in Belgium and I'm like, oh shit. Like, I don't even have a hotel for tonight. I didn't even know what a hostel was at this point. Like I didn't, I had no plans, which was honestly the most freeing feeling ever. It was, I was, it was so surreal. And I also didn't tell like a single soul besides my parents that I was going to be in Europe that summer. And so there was a guy um, at the luggage carousel. I was like waiting for my bag and he kind of looked, you know, American and my age and familiar. And I was like, hey, he's like, hey. And he was from Texas. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't know. I'm just going to go to my hostel. But same, like I just got here and I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. So we were like, perfect. And I was like, well, I at least I know how to use the bus system because I don't know how. I knew. I think maybe just other things. But I was like, I know we just got to get on like number whatever bus and we can get to the center. He's like, cool. So he showed me what a hostel was. And that night I got to my hostel and then I went out to a restaurant and there was a different guy there. And I was just eating my food, minding my own business. And he was like, are you American? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, cool. Um, what's your story or whatever? And it ended up being this guy from Ohio and he had just finished his flight was the next morning. He had just finished a three month trip and he literally told me everything under the sun. He's like, this is where you should go. Like what a godsend. Like there was no coincidence in that happening. He was like, these are the coolest places. This is like pros and cons of my trip. And I had a year rail pass. It was like this thing where you could, you could get on 10 trains in three months or something. And he was like, listen, I got an erasable pen. You can have it because I'm leaving tomorrow. And he's like, what you're going to do is you're going to write in where you're going. And then they're going to come by and look at it and you're just going to erase it. And I'm sure you can't do this now, but that's really the main reason I was able to do the whole trip on like no money because I was just like, I mean, technically stealing trains that were like hundreds of dollars. And I just kept doing like it over and over again. ink. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. And by the end, like I wrote over the same section so many times, like, obviously, you know, with an erasable pen, like it kind of erases, but like the end in the paper is there. <laughs> and every time the train person would just look at it and be like, okay. <laughs> oh my God. What um, a like angel scent. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it worked out so good. And the highlight of the trip was probably, and this would be a good recommendation for someone listening that wants to do travel cheap, is like to be an au pair or to work at a hostel. So when I got to Croatia by a series of odd events, I ended up in Croatia, (laughs) which was a place I had never even heard of before this trip. (laughs) But I just stay at this hostel and it it was so cool. It was so beautiful. It was on an island called Havar. People probably know it now um, because Yacht Week is there. Um, mm-hmm. But that night there was the pub crawl leader. Do you guys know what a pub crawl leader is? No. Okay. So they work at the hostel and it's like their job to like welcome the guests that are coming in. And that way, mm-hmm. if they're, they want to go out to the bars, they're kind of like, Hey, like I know the cool safe places and mm-hmm. like we can all go out together and be a community. That mm-hmm. way you're not just like a random chick, like off at the bars by yourself. Oh, like cool. it's kind of safe and then you usually have like a deal with the bars that are included in it that the people from the hostel get discounted drinks or something like that and so the pub crawl leader at this hostel was like yeah i've been here for like 
two months and I've been doing the pub curl later every single night for two months and hadn't, haven't had a night off, which means like he's been getting drunk till four o'clock in the morning for two months. Yeah, and wow. he was like, I, there's no way I can do this whole summer by myself. Like for the next month, would you want to do it with me? And so I was like, I mean, sign me up. So I got to stay at the hostel for free. I got to eat all the food at the hostel for free. And then at night, all I would do is just like go out and make sure people had a good time and all my drinks were paid for. So like in the middle of the day, I just got to go do whatever I wanted like go out on a boat, go on the moped, go around the island. It was literally a dream. It was so <laughs> convenient, especially for like a 19-year-old. Uh, so yeah, highly what? recommend that experience. Um, pretty much every Your hostel. Your only job was to like party and party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have done so well in college. <laughs> right? No, it, I was thriving. Was my health in check? Absolutely not. Ooh. I don't even know. Because then the next morning, you know, the sun goes up. I'm like getting home when the nightclub is called Pink Champagne. And it closed at five. And like, oh, so many good memories, though. I met so many people. Um, but yeah, I'd wake up the next morning on like five hours of sleep and just be like, well, I can't even be upset because I'm literally like in paradise on an island. Like, guess I'll just keep yeah. going. And so after a full month of doing that, like my time was coming to an end. And these Australian guys, they were leaving and they were going to a music festival up in northern Croatia. And they're like, do you want to come? And I was like, no, I'm poor. I don't have a ticket. And they're like, don't worry, we'll buy it. And I was like, okay. So that's how I ended up leaving that job. But if I don't know how it would work to maybe like email a hostel or something. But if someone's a young younger listener and you have a free summer, there are plenty of like work away, work exchange sites, au pair sites mm -hmm. to find mm -hmm. things like that. And there's even hostels in the United States. Like I've stayed at some in Chicago, Seattle, New York, and they all need help. My stepbrother worked at one in Hawaii for like three months. He just had to do like three hours of cleaning a day. And then he got to stay there and like do a ton of cool stuff. So wow. it's definitely a thing. That wow. is so cool. <laughs> that whole story is just awesome. Um, I'm curious. I have so many questions for you. I, I feel like we could go on for like hours and hours, but I know we have to stop at 11. Um, so I'm curious on that note of your party job, what was your journey to sobriety? And like, when did you quit drinking? And also how has that impacted your like life and career since then? Yes, I think. Uh, okay. So anyone that knew me from like age 15 to 25, like, you know, there was probably a drinking association. Like I worked at a, a nightclub, basically. I was always going out in college and I was a pub crawl leader, loved a good music <laughs> festival. Like I was like your go-to going out girl. And I think I just did it so much that after a while I was just like, I'm burned out. Like mm -hmm. I truly cannot do this anymore. Like I was so hard on my body for so long. And once I was able to manage all like all of that in college and like in my younger adult days. And then once I got my own business, it was like, I can't do this anymore because yeah, you have a reputation to uphold. Like when I was a manager at a bar, yeah, I could drink every one night. Like that was aligned when I like have yeah. a podcast about like bettering your life and you're the owner of like a store that a lot of people go to and young girls look up to you. Like they, I can't also see them at the bar on Saturday night. Like me dancing on a table, not in alignment. <laughs> at first I would like kind of still go out when I had just opened my store and people would come up to me like at the bar, like, Oh my God, you're the owner of new wave. And I'd be like, Oh, you guys recognize me. I got to get out of here. 
Like, (laughs) absolutely not. I am not trying to talk business right now. I'm not trying to have you guys see me like this. So then I slowly just kind of like stopped going out to like the the known spots in the area. And then I was like starting to reevaluate my relationship with alcohol. And so I started 75 hard. And Mm. that was probably the most helpful catalyst. Every year, I will say, I think from age... 19 on I always did dry January it was like a good cleanse for me pretty much did it every year Mm -hmm. and enjoyed it during that time and so I was like okay yeah I could do 75 hard it's just like double that and after I did it I was like I feel so good why would I go backwards and go I like it was like I had just fixed so many of my problems so much of my stress and my anxiety and not feeling I, I had enough time and like some relationships that maybe were only as deep as like going out it's like I kind of realized all that. And then when the 75 days was over, it was like, why would I why would I go back to that? Um, yeah. So then I kind of thought, well, what if I did a year? And I wasn't really planning on telling people that I was going to do a year. But on my podcast, Clay, my boyfriend was on it and he like mentioned it while we were talking like, yeah, aren't you going <laughs> for a year? And I was like, oh, well, now we said it. Now I have to follow through. And I'm so glad it worked out that way because it it's like, well, I told people, so I have to do it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I just finished the year and I don't have plans of drinking anymore. So for me, drinking was always the thing. I would never really like smoked, um, but I am such a active person. Like I don't need alcohol to boost me up. I am already up. If anything, I should probably dabble with marijuana more and like bring me down. But I decided to do the full year, like 100% sober. And I think that's kind of rare. Like most people I see online when they say they're sober, they mean California free of alcohol. Yeah. California Mm -hmm. sober. And being 100% alone with your thoughts, 100% sober is so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, it really wasn't that I had the desire to drink. It was just like, I just want to not think for a second. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. sure you can relate to that. <laughs> like, just <laughs> no, not I being able to turn so, off. I think that's so interesting. And what you said about 75 hard is so great. And I agree with that because I had done some like months of being sober, but I don't think you can actually get the full benefits and like feel the stamina and feel like the pressure and overcome that in 30 days. And so like I did a hundred days, but I think 75 days, like you have to do at least like six weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, and so I do think that's really cool that it started with 75 hard and just kind of turned into what it was. And I think you made such a good point. Like, and that's how I feel is it wasn't necessarily problems before that were clearly linked to the drinking. It was once you stopped, you realized how many of your problems were like by proxy being caused by alcohol. And like, that was one of the things for me when I started really liking my job, I was like, I can't be hungover for three days because Mm -hmm. I care about what I'm doing at work. And I don't want to just like do nothing because I can't function for three days. (laughs) So I think that's really interesting and I'm happy and like, thanks for sharing. How has that positatively impacted like your business and your professional career? Oh, I also so agree with everything you just said. (laughs) Like you don't really know what the problems are until you're kind of on the other side. So I definitely encourage Anyone trying out a period of sobriety, even if you don't know what you're doing it for, you'll figure out. And kind of how my visual metaphor of what I feel like sobriety is, is like, let's say you have this that chair in the corner of your room that you throw all those clothes on. You're like, I'm not sure if I should wear this day. That's like all your trauma. 
And every time you drink, you're just like throwing more onto this chair and you're never dealing with it. And all alcohol does is it's like you go and you take a blanket and you cover up that chair with all of your problems on it. And you just have, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, kind of like an invisible cloak. Like maybe I don't see it right now, but then you take it back and everything's still there. And slowly when you're sober, it's like you deal with a problem. Then you kind of deal with another problem and it all starts to reveal itself. Clay, my partner, was a huge reason I went sober too because he is so important to me. Like I, we are absolutely life partners. I love him so much. Like I do not know what I would do without him. And I never felt that way in my relationships before. And I was just like, if I mess this up, like I will never forgive myself. Kind of how you felt about the job. And same with the store. Like I did all of this hard work. I opened a store. I have an amazing apartment. I'm starting a podcast. It's growing really fast. I have an amazing boyfriend. Like, why would I fuck it all up? Like for what? And all I have to do is stop drinking and it will literally help everything. So now that it's been a year and I can see everything for what it was, I feel so stable in my relationship because I know that sober me would like, is not going to cause a fight, is not going to nitpick anything, is not going to ever cheat on him or send him some aggressive drunk text or demand something. I'm not going to have to have him pick me up from the bar at four o'clock in the morning. I'm never going to embarrass myself on my business and actually post some story on my business account that should have never happened or answer some email because I was drinking or show up brutally hungover to a family Easter and embarrass myself. Um, I'm not (laughs) going to be worried that I can't reach my fitness goals because of drinking. That was also a big part of it is like, I always wanted to get into yoga and meditation, but I also wanted to go to happy hour and then I'd also (laughs) need to sleep off a hangover. And you also realize how much time drinking takes like going to the store and buying booze, picking it out, getting home, getting everything set up, contacting your friends to make it work out, getting ready, going to the bars, pre-gaming, bar, 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 getting home, ruining your life, like making your whole apartment a mess, <laughs> door dashing food. Like it's so expensive. And like for what? Like I'm all down for a good time. I like last night. We went to a big group dinner. There was six of us. We had an amazing dinner. Then we went over to this kind of like outdoor multi-space thing. And we were all playing like games. And I was out to like midnight. Like I still go out. I still like to have a good time. And almost everyone else was drinking. But like mm-hmm. I then woke up at seven o'clock this morning, went outside, went for a walk, cleaned my apartment, did all my laundry, prepped for this podcast. And I guarantee you if I drank last night, I would have barely been able to get on before this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just realize yeah. like... Whoa. I love the chair metaphor because we just did like a 10 things I wish I knew or 10 things I learned since graduating. And almost all of our friends touched on that concept, like not even like with drinking necessarily, but they were like, we were so busy and caught up in the rush of socializing and partying that we never even had time to think about what our own problems and traumas were. Like we all experienced trauma in college, but because we were so go, 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 we didn't even process it. So we were like, we're so happy. And then we graduate and we're like, ah, there's like actually things that are buried underneath this like social time that we just use to numb ourselves. And like the social time was drinking. So it's kind of like, you know, they go hand in hand. Um, I have one last question. I don't know if you have time to answer, but something I really wanted to ask you is how do you fucking balance everything? Like, that has been really hard for Jordan and I when we've been, we've been trying to start this podcast. We're like, how do we have full-time jobs and like 
manage our social and record and also be healthy and also have social time and time for our relationships. Like you emailed us and you were like, I just do socials for like fun. And we're like, how is it just like fun? Like it takes so long. So, how do you balance? I, 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 someone like you who has so many endeavors and hobbies and pastimes, how do you, how do you fit it all in? Wow. Well, thank you for the compliments. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I think his name is Robert Green. Um, I hope, but there's this guy He's that really good. Is he the one that has all of those like laws? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I saw a TikTok about one of them and it was like the law of ease. Like part of our culture is like letting everyone know how hard we work. Right. Like, oh my gosh. Like it's like a badge of honor to be exhausted and busy. And like, oh, I just slaved away at my desk all day. It's like a rite of passage to kind of be exhausted and miserable. And mm-hmm. he was like, if you focus on the ease, it becomes easy. Like, why are you trying to prove to everyone like how hard your life is? Like, is that fun for you? And that is exactly what I was doing before. I used to show everyone like all the behind the scenes it was and how hard I was working and how I was running around with my head cut off. And I thought that that was like admirable that I was like doing so much, but kind of in the, in the space of, I felt like I had to prove to everyone that I was like doing all of it, not just because Mm -hmm. I actually wanted to do it. And truly that TikTok like changed my life because I was like, yeah, why am I trying to make my life seem so hard? Like I'm doing everything that I want to do. I'm I get to have a store and a and friends and this podcast. Like, why am I not just enjoying it and going with the flow and letting it be easy? And once I started focusing on the ease and that it gets to be fun, it all gets mm-hmm. to be fun, then it becomes more fun. And also just realizing like if you don't get to something, oh well, like yeah, we committed to having a podcast episode every single Friday. Like, okay, what what if we don't? Like, why are we stressing about it? No, nothing's going to happen if we don't have that episode up that Friday. And like, yes, I want my store to be open every day that I've ever said it's going to be open and match the Google hours. But if something comes up, people will live. I'm not selling life-saving medicine. It's a secondhand clothing store. If I yeah. said I was going to make a TikTok that day and I don't, no one's sitting there waiting on my TikTok to come. Who cares? And I think once you just let go of feeling like you have to do everything and switch all of the I have to do statements and to I get to do statements, mm-hmm. like I get to film a TikTok today because I want to, not because I have to. I get to go to this yoga class because I want to, because it's going to make me feel better. Not I have to go work out because that's what society says. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, you get to do it. And not for me, not over scheduling everything has actually made it easier. Just like letting things flow. Like I didn't even know we were going to go and do all of that last night. Like we decided to do this podcast, what, like 72 hours ago. And (laughs) the more you just kind of like live in that flow, it actually becomes so much easier. And then you're making things from a space of fun and like you want to, and it feels good. And like when creative inspiration hits, like you just act on it when you want to be social you go be social when you need rest, you do rest. And like, that's kind of what life should all be about is doing things that are in alignment and feel good and not just because you feel like you you have to. Yeah. You know, I saw you posted a TikTok and it was something like, how do you schedule things with like ADHD? And you're like, I don't, I just raw dog life. And so I was like, she's probably not going to have like that much of a, of a strict schedule, but I still, that was a really, a, re- a really good TikTok reference that you also have with the Robert Greene laws of power. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a good answer. I like that. 
Sweet. Live yeah. into the ease. Lean into the ease. Make it fun. Make I it feel fun. like people also almost get uncomfortable with ease because they're like, if I'm being successful, it should be hard. Like if mm-hmm. I am at a point of success. So when you start doing things that you like love and it's you're getting success in them and it feels easy, you like find a way to make it feel uncomfortable because you're like, this is what success should feel like. Like success mm-hmm. should hurt. And so it's cool to hear you say that you've like kind of gotten out of that and switched your mindset. 100%. And that's just our programming. Because if you look at generations before us, work was hard. They worked mm-hmm. hard. They were working in factories, in the fields. Like they, there wasn't a lot of fun. And so I think it's just programmed into us. Work equals hard. And yeah. when you can let go of that and be like, no, work can be fun. I can enjoy my life. Like that's really when you start to come into your own power, I started another business called Sun Seekers, where it's going to be all for people who are like spiritually curious and kind of just getting started and they don't know where to begin with all of their resources. So I have like a group of friends and we're all starting it, but we had our cacao ceremony and one of the rituals that we did in it, and we wrote on a piece of paper, something that we're releasing. And I wrote that making money has to be hard. And because I started to get over the fear that working is hard. Like it gets to be easy. But then I started to be like feeling guilty that I was earning money by doing things I enjoyed. And I started to like, like you said, like, okay, well, I should make it harder. And suddenly I don't feel like I deserve this because what I'm doing is fun. And then people say stuff like I was at a gathering and one of the older generations was like, do you ever work? You're just every day doing things. Like, how do you have all this time for social media? Like, do you ever work? And I was like, that's such a rude thing to say, first of all. And I was like, I actually work so much. And in the evenings, like when you go to bed, like I'm probably working. Um, You just don't see it because like, I want to make my life fun. Like I don't need to show every grinding moment. Um, But just releasing that belief that earning money has to be hard and that I'm not worth the struggle. Like I can just earn money by being myself and having fun. First of all, I will be an absolute customer of your spiritual curious business because we literally had a question that was like written down that was like, how do you get into spirituality when you don't know where to start? Because I feel like you have very approachable spiritual content. So we will have you back on to talk about your new business and spirituality because I am obsessed with that. But to wrap up, let us know where everyone can find you, where you want people to you want to pimp out your store, your podcast, and your personal socials. Sweet. Yes. Thank you guys so, so much for having me on. This was delightful. I feel weird because I just talked about myself the whole time. I'm used to being on your guys' <laughs> end of the podcast of being the asker. So I'm like, oh my gosh, talked about myself for an hour. But um, my socials are all Allison Wedig, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-W-E-T-I-G. Pretty active on TikTok, Instagram, and Pinterest. And then my store is just called New Wave, like a new era of clothing. Like type is mm-hmm. kind of where the name came from. But all the social socials are at Shop the New Wave. The website mm-hmm. is shopthenewwave.com. And then Sunseekers Cafe will be the new spiritual business. And then the podcast is called Already Friends. Amazing. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So many fun things. And yeah, I'm I'm very excited to hear about your new business and mm-hmm. definitely follow her on socials. Your brand aesthetic vibe is incredible and it always makes me happy to see your content. So thank you for coming on. This has been an absolute treat for us mm-hmm. and a great Sunday morning.